Welcome to TV7 Israel's podcast. We invite you to listen and share our latest content from Israel and the region. Shalom and welcome to Editor's Note. I'm Yair Pinto, and together with me is Jonathan Hassan, TV7 Israel Editor-in-Chief. How are you doing, Jonathan? Praise God, doing well. It's great. It's great to be here, and we have a lot to discuss. We want to see how the situation in Ukraine evolved, what really, you know, stimulated you to write the news this week, and all the stuff uh, behind the scene that you as an editor have to go through before you decide what to put in a 10-minute segment. But uh, before we go into these uh, topics, let's uh, pray, ask God to join us. And I would like to encourage you, the viewers back at home, to join us in prayer. Our Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you for being in control. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for being with each and every one of us back at home, here in the studio. We pray that you will open our hearts, touch the hearts of the viewers, each and every one of us in every way that you see fit to each of us individually. Bless this program, bless uh, Jonathan, bless our technical team here, and uh, really bless the people of uh, Ukraine, of Russia, and everybody who's affected by the, the situation in Europe now. Shem Yeshua Mashiach. Amen. Um, Jonathan, we have a lot to discuss, but I think before we, we really start talking about this stuff, Maybe our team can put a map of Europe so that the people can really focus on the areas and you can, you know, explain what is going on, where the forces station now and the areas of interest in, uh, in Europe now. Indeed. Well, uh, we're going to focus not only on Europe, we're going to focus on uh, a bro- broader perspective, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, with that being said, I'd like to start with uh, last week uh, we communicated about social media, mm-hmm. and uh, I've been corrected, uh, actually. So, uh, the, as I stated, there are two specific uh, social media platforms in Russian, mm-hmm. um, Kontakti and another one that uh, uh, just evaded me just now. Uh, but they have been uh, utilized or used by audiences both in Russia, Ukraine, and other Russian-speaking uh, countries uh, around the world, as well as Russian speakers in the United States and elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, with that being said, since uh, the uh, takeover of Russia in Crimea, specifically, so Crimea is uh, this small little part over here, Yes. Uh, so the Russians have taken it without firing pretty much one bullet, Mm -hmm. uh, or at least not uh, overtly uh, firing one bullet. There were multiple um, activities happening covertly. But without the consent of Ukraine or the the world in general? Ukraine still is adamant that this is theirs. Mm -hmm. Russia um, looks at it from a historic perspective and emphasizes, no, this is ours. And uh, we need to understand that Ukraine... Uh, has been a a uh, country in the shadow or a community in the shadow of empires. So whether it is uh, from the the war with you know the the uh, great northern wars mm-hmm. where 
Sweden was actually the hegemon on the northern front, uh, and uh, its prime adversary was uh, Russia, which we also spoke about uh, uh, over the Battle of Poltava and the switch from expansionism to isolationism. Um, Here specifically, uh, Russia always looks at Ukraine as uh, you have the the Dnieper uh, River, Mm -hmm. you have the eastern part, which was for the largest part of history on the Russian side, and you have the Eastern Bloc, which was even Poland for a certain period of time Mm -hmm. uh, under uh, the Kingdom of Poland. So it has a lot of shifts within the geographical uh, construct, the geopolitical construct of that territories. But uh, specifically when Russia took over uh, Crimea, um, the two social media networks were then taken over by um, companies or or procured, so to speak. Like Russian-owned companies? companies? Indeed. So they became state-owned companies, allowing Russian authorities to truly um, see what's happening on that, uh, uh, excuse me, cybersphere. Mm -hmm. And uh, as such, Ukraine blocked these two social media networks. Nonetheless, there are many Russians living in Ukraine. There are many Ukrainians who are supportive of Russia. I don't know to what degree now with everything that is going on. But um, from what I've been told, and I've spoken extensively with many Ukrainians and Russians on this uh, topic to understand the depth of uh, uh, this uh, angle, Mm -hmm. uh, many Ukrainians have been utilizing VPN, basically... Uh, to shift their IP addresses to Russia or to other places in Europe to be able to maintain their accounts on social media mm-hmm. uh, in Russia. So uh, it, it is not black and white, it is gray. Um, and with that being said, there are plenty of Russians who still employ VPN to be able to um, be Access tapped. Other, yes. other to tap into the Western world mm-hmm. or elsewhere. So... There are multiple angles from that. So putting that aside, um, I stand corrected. This uh, social media angle, of course, being under a uh, state-owned corporation, being able to basically uh, control all the the information being on there. Um, The last time I entered uh, those social media uh, platforms was just last week to Mm -hmm. be able to um, get more understanding of, yes. of, uh, of the information that the people received, the Russian-speaking people received. Indeed. But uh, again, uh, the the war is raging in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. The situation is dire. Uh, Kharkov, uh, which uh, I had also a, an extensive conversation with uh, the uh, some people from Kharkov, particularly, uh, who said, "Look, uh, many people living in Kharkov happen to be Russians." Uh, mm-hmm. It's it's uh, a predominantly Russian city, so to speak, uh, rather than a Ukrainian city. Nonetheless, uh, the uh, the fact that the majority of civilians are Russian or the elderly, the older generations, still have keen loyalty towards the USSR, the Soviet mm-hmm. Union, um, and therefore are more inclined to be supportive of Moscow. Uh, the the understanding of the devastation 
that is happening there. We won't go into the, the deep tactical and, and deceptive mm-hmm. maneuvering within context of war because this would have to have an entire session yeah, just for that. Um, We've been hearing a lot, a lot about the cessation of hostilities, the humanitarian corridors and ceasefires that are taking place but are violated and not violated. Could you maybe explain what is going on and are these ceasefires effective and are we expected to hear a breakthrough in negotiations because of them? Whether we're going to see a breakthrough in negotiations or not uh, depends on Ukrainian resilience. Uh, it has nothing to do with Russian interests. Uh, the, the Russians have the upper hand here. Mm-hmm. Um, even though uh, the international sanction regime uh, imposed by uh, the international community, it's not only the United States, it's not only Europe, it's also Japan, mm-hmm. which has had plenty of disputes over the last... Um, since World War II, basically, um, over a number of islands that the Russians have uh, taken or the Soviets have taken from Japan after yeah. the uh, Japanese um, empire lost uh, the, the war in, in the Second World War, mm-hmm. uh, specifically. Uh, there are many disputes still lingering from back then. So the imposition of sanctions by Japan, the imposition of sanctions by Australia. So many countries around the world are forming a certain um, block to, uh, to frustrate uh, Russian maneuvering. With that being said, uh, there are countries who, uh, alongside the countries that align themselves with Russia, uh, meaning Uh, particularly the Islamic Republic of Iran, Mm -hmm. Syria, which is a vessel state, obviously, of Russia, and uh, even China. China does not intend to sanction Russia or to partake in any of that. Mm -hmm. They may abstain in the United Nations because they know that their voice will not grant them added value if they vote against a UN General Assembly resolution condemning the Russian uh, attack or offensive. Uh, they still do not uh, see um, a a problem with the Russian engagement. Mm-hmm. So it is the battle between uh, the attempt to maintain the world order as the way is. we know yes. it, uh, as opposed to other countries, including Russia and China in particular, that seeks seek to establish a bipolar. Uh, system that then would allow them to establish uh, an alternative world order Mm -hmm. uh, based on their interests, based on their aspirations and long-term strategies. Yeah, they want more of an equilibrium with the United States in compared to, you know, having the Rome of the 21st century. They want a more, I don't know, equal world with their objectives and interests aligned. And, and being the same level. We, we see that uh, Putin has kind of an ace up his sleeve in regards to the Iran nuclear talks, because the United States just announced that uh, Russia will not be sanctioned you know, against making deals with Iran um, if they partake in this nuclear deal, and that has separated from the um, sanctions against Russia in regards to Ukraine. Mm-hmm. So what does that really mean? I mean, so are there sanctions or are there less sanctions? Very briefly yeah. um, on, on this specifically. So I, I had a few conversations with mm-hmm. um, Western diplomats uh, who 
for all intents and purposes, we're not allowed to speak about those specific topics, uh, so we will keep them anonymous. <laughs> uh, nonetheless, as I reported also on the news, um, Russia has 24 foreign nuclear development uh, projects, um, which is... Military or no, civilian? No, no, civilian. Okay. civilian. Um, the majority of those projects are directed at China, which is very keen on changing from the coal energy system mm-hmm. to the nuclear mm-hmm. uh, system. And uh, India, of course. Uh, in the Middle East, there are only two, one in Turkey, as mm-hmm. uh, we reported on in the past, as well as one in Egypt, which is a co-project of Egypt and Saudi Arabia. Mm-hmm. So they're working there specifically. Now, the moment Germany entered the sanctions regime, mm-hmm. and specifically Germany, uh, this has thwarted uh, Russia's ability to engage um, in those projects. Now, uh, the reason for that is that the majority of components uh, utilized in the development of those projects are uh, constructed uh, with components created in Germany. I see, okay. And, Mm -hmm. ironically, in Western Ukraine. Really? Okay. So, so there are uh, there are issues there. The Russians, obviously, for each such project, it's uh, between five, six, seven. Uh, it really depends. Billion dollars for one such project. So it's a lot of money, obviously, being put aside uh, from the Russian perspective. Uh, nonetheless, uh, when we look at the JCPOA, the Russians basically said and the JCPOA, the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, nothing comprehensive about it, but um, it is uh, the nuclear deal with Iran trying to revive it. Uh, The Russians basically came and said, look, this is not in our interest. If we don't develop our nuclear projects for the Iranians, because uh, the the civilian development of those uh, plants, nuclear reactors, are conducted also by the Russians. I see. Yes. Okay. The Very main, complicated stuff. It, yeah, and it's everything, complex. Everything is intertwined, as we as we say. Absolutely. Yeah. So in order to make a ceasefire here, we need to make sure that the Russians get what they want in this deal right. and are not affected in the other areas. And also, you said about the the Krim, uh, the Krim island. Crimea. Is it also part of the of the Russian demands for ending this conflict? Uh, Russia sees Crimea as, as Russian. Uh, ah, okay. I, honestly, I, you know, I, I have friends in Crimea, actually. Mm-hmm. And uh, some of them uh, happen to be also Jews who immigrated to Israel, uh, whose parents are still there. And, and uh, they were Ukrainians until the moment Russia um, came in. And they ha- delivered in their passports. They got Russian passports in their that's it. And the they Russians see themselves citizens. as Russians now. Okay. Crimea is a very old population. Uh, many of the young people leave Crimea from a young age, also at the time of Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Uh, so many of the people living there are very Soviet Mind. in their mindset. Is that why there wasn't like a big war when Russia basically took over that area? Um, one of the reasons. Yeah. So. 
Uh, during the Soviet era, uh, the, the Soviets were very smart. Uh, by the way, um, during World War II, the, the Germans have done this. Um, mm. Yes. Uh, yes. The, the uh, various countries around the world, if you had a colony, you would uh, um, plant in your own populations mm -hmm. to strengthen your uh, ability to uh, control the area. Mm -hmm. So during the Soviet era, um, the Russians specifically allowed many Russians or encouraged many Russians to go and settle in uh, neighboring countries, in other countries. And as such, you have suddenly a lot of uh, Russian, originally Russian people living in Moldova, uh, where you have already a autonomous region on the north uh, eastern part. You have um, in Estonia, a NATO member state, there are about 1.1, 1 million uh, citizens living in Estonia. Russian citizens? No, oh, uh, Estonian Estonians. citizens. Out of those, you have between 250 to 270,000 Russians. Okay, that's a, that's a big percentage. That is a big percentage for a NATO member state. Definitely. Okay, so um, they may be loyal to Estonia, but they're also very Russian. So they, they consume Russian media, they, they are very uh, connected to the Russian um, cultural mm -hmm. uh, influence. And therefore, when you have your Russian influence on other areas, you're also able, as has happened here, as has happened uh, in Ukraine, meaning as has happened in Georgia uh, in the mid-2000s, as happened in other places, um, it provides pretexts yes. to allow, okay, we're going to defend our people, okay? For the same reason, in World War II, for instance, mm -hmm. uh, the German, uh, the, the Nazi regime, basically when it invaded the Netherlands, even though being a neutral country during World War I, uh, it said, no, we're coming to protect you against the British. Mm -hmm. uh, even though they said, we don't need your protection, but that was a different story. Yeah. Uh, no, I understand. It's a good. It's a good moral excuse to you know to invade another country. Well, morality is, of yeah. course, a, a matter of narrative and perspective. Definitely, um, there are plenty of moral issues in the West, uh, and there's a long list of, of issues that have brought about the boldness to to compete with mm -hmm. the West, mm -hmm. and it has to do with the wokeness of Western society these days large communities looking into the cancel culture. Uh, some, you know, when there was the whole um, Black Lives Matter mm -hmm. uprising in the United States, and it was an uprising of many anarchists utilizing uh, the, the um, how, how can I put it, the, the emotional pain of the black community in the United States, the African-American community in the United States, in order to further their own interests. So you, know, you could see that there was intelligence reports about that. Mm -hmm. And then politicians, as politicians always do, they are opportunistic. Yes. Some go with it, some go against it, but they, they use yeah. it for their own political Depending agendas. Depending on their, their voter support. And Indeed, their voter especially in democratic. Agenda. But... Uh, societies, but when you really look at the, you know, at what happened there, they were calling to defund the police, 
Mm-hmm. And when I looked at that, I asked myself, why would you weaken um, the police? You sh- you're supposed to strengthen them. Yes. Are there issues within uh, security apparatuses or security establishments? Yes. In every country, there are always rotten apples. Exactly. It has nothing to do with the necessity to maintain law and order, which is the fundamental cornerstone of democracy. Mm-hmm. You know, so they were calling to weaken what is supposed to protect yes. democratic societies, and that goes against everything that has to do with uh, the the values and even the constitutions of Western societies. Mm-hmm. So, again, uh, there's a lot in play, but this is for another time. Yeah, this definitely. is not uh, what we're looking. Yeah, to let, let's go back into. to the to the Russia-Ukraine uh, situation. Indeed. So you were speaking about Crimea, and, and this is something that needs to be uh, brought up. If you really look at the map and you see where Crimea is, Russia is currently invading Ukraine, and it is bolstering its capacity to control the northern sphere of the Black Sea. Mm-hmm. Okay, what will happen? If Russia controls the Black Sea, of course, you have Georgia, you have Romania, you have uh, the the various countries in the region. But it it then allows Russia to reevaluate its its posture. Mm -hmm. Up until uh, recently, before the Russian invasion, we saw uh, various maneuvers by the British, by NATO, by the United States establishing their all kind of vessels, uh, military vessels for various uh, uh, exercises. And uh, very quickly, you understood that it was void of purpose Mm -hmm. uh, because those maneuvers were intended to deter Russia from attacking Ukraine. It didn't help, obviously. Why didn't it help? Because the political will in Western societies to sacrifice, as I stated last week, just doesn't exist. Yes, unless it's on your backyard, they don't want to put uh, boots on the ground and to risk... uh, Right, Uh, well, you need to understand that uh, currently, uh, only in the last four years, uh, the West has started to re-change their militaries uh, from a counter-terrorism format into a war format. Um, Until uh, within the 20 years that the United States was the primary hegemon, um, European nations didn't see much uh, necessity in preparations for war. They still have the infrastructure to develop militaries for times of war, Mm -hmm. but they did not want to do so because obviously it costs a lot of money. And the United States provided guarantees, so why not? You know, so when Donald Trump, uh, the former president of the United States, came and said, well, we're not going to pay for all your security needs, things started to change. Yeah. That was the moment, especially Germany, and they were asked to quadruple their investments. Uh, they were asked to uh, double, basically, their military capacity and to transition from counterterrorism units into war units. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, ironically, this is now a joke going through the military circles in the West after the um, NATO summit of, mm-hmm. of defense ministers, uh, a senior German practitioner basically engaged with their counterparts and he told them, so wait, just to get right what you're telling me now is you want us to quadruple our investments, you want to double our military capacity, and you want us to enter Poland? 
which is ironically the analogy yeah, for World yeah, War II. Exactly. So the situation is rapidly changing. Um, but when we're looking at the Black Sea, if, if Russia controls the Black Sea mm -hmm. and is able to utilize its forces uh, more in a more broad posture, they will be able to divert many naval assets into the Mediterranean mm -hmm. to further their interest there from the port of Tartus uh, in Syria. And then instead of uh, four, five, six vessels in the Mediterranean, suddenly you have entire fleets yes. that will be available for the Mediterranean. Uh, of course, the Arctic uh, also has uh, significant naval uh, assets there from uh, the Russians. But suddenly on the northern mm -hmm. part of Israel's um, uh, EEZ, Exclusive Economic Zone, or uh, Economic Waters, we call them, suddenly you'll have multiple Russian vessels. So this is a calculation suddenly to take into yes. consideration. Uh, you have also uh, the Turkish aspect. There mm -hmm. are discussions about possibly normalizing relations and what would that actually mean. Um, so many things are taking place. Of course, there are biblical angles to every element uh, that we're looking and observing and seeing whether it is aligned mm -hmm. with uh, what is happening. I, I think it's also very important to tell our viewers uh, who are observing. Many are very eager uh, for Ezekiel 38, 39 to come into play and, and many things. We don't create realities. Yes. We observe. If it aligns, that's a different story. There are certain things which still do not align themselves. Mm -hmm. Okay, We do not need to try and shift uh, certain ingredients within, uh, within a yes, uh, exactly. bigger context. In general, I think that uh, we always, as believers, have to be ready. You know, like God said, Absolutely. with, uh, with uh, the brides waiting with the oil lamps and the wise ones that had extra oil waiting for the groom. Mm. So we need to be always ready because we don't know the time or the hour no. of when Jesus is coming or when we will end our time here on earth. So we need to be ready. In yeah. general, I think it's good to observe because it's encouraging to see that the prophecies are coming true and God is coming sooner. Things are materializing, yes, absolutely. And, you know, uh, as I always say, God is in control. Mm -hmm. God is in control of the situation. We need to pray for the situation. We need to pray for our leaders. Mm -hmm. The, the time is nigh, but at the same time, we also need to understand that uh, the current composition is not entirely there. Um, there are small things that are not in place, yeah. which may occur in, in the near future, may occur in the longer term future. But we need to look closely and intently at what is happening and see how it impacts um, the, the variables on the ground. Uh, of course, I, I do... Um, predict based on concrete analysis of, of this current situation that Russia will significantly bolster once the Ukrainian front is uh, concluded. Mm -hmm. um, it will significantly bolster its assets in the Middle East oh, wow. and okay. in Syria, in, in the Mediterranean, because it has interests. Yes. And, and those should be. And there is a vacuum there. Indeed. Yes. Okay, well, this is all the time that we have for today. As you said, we really know that God is in control of all situations and he has the power and he did it before to change bad situations into great opportunities to share his love to the world. Yeah. So thank you, Jonathan. Thank you, Eir. 
Thank you, our viewers, and we'll see you next time for another episode of Editor's Note. Thank you for joining us in another TV7 Israel podcast. For more content, visit our website at tv7israelnews.com or follow us on social media.